Welcome to the Better Future podcast series brought to you by Driven by Design Award Programs. I'm Mark Bergen, the founder of Driven by Design, and joining me is... Kirsten Mann. I'm Global VP of Product Experience for Oracle's Construction and Engineering Global Business Unit. This podcast series is a special series where we focus on design in the boardroom. It's a series of infield recordings and live panels with design giants from around the world, and we discuss how boards are leveraging design to accelerate economic outcomes. In other words, how is design being managed up, down, and across the organisation? In this episode, we talk with Ben Williams from RGA, where we talk about how RGA and Nike are creating impact through the use of creative designed executions. Now, the interesting twist in this episode is it's the board at Nike who are driving RGA. There's no need for RGA to sell up. The focus is on delivery, excellence and peak performance. I'm Ben Williams, uh, SVP, Executive Creative Director and Co-Head of Creative at RGA New York. And I thought I had a long title. Have you got a letterbox, you know, uh, aspect ratio business card to fit all that in? (laughs) It's kind of crazy and kind of new as well. Now, people would probably recognise the accent as being Australian. so Softened a bit, I think. Well, it's still there. But so you've had a pretty amazing trajectory to come to now be leading one of the most prominent design agencies in New York. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a crazy ride, I think. Um, Yeah, I'm definitely from, from Melbourne originally. Um, been in the US for about 10 years now. Um, AKQA brought me out, so I've been at AKQA, did a short stint at Publicist, and for the last nearly seven and a half years I've been at RGA. Mm-hmm. And Nike is the brand that you're most associated with? Or is it, do they say Nike? Nike. Nike. <laughs> um, I fell off my bikey there. <laughs> so it's Nike is the, is the correct name. So I feel in half the world that I'm actually <laughs> correct when I'm talking about it. But it isn't interesting with shoe brands, you know, in one part of the world it's Adidas and then in other parts of the world it's Adidas mm-hmm. and then the same thing happens for Nike. I think they would correct you there because I don't think Nike see them or Nike see themselves as a shoe brand anymore, do they? No, they're definitely not. I mean, I think they're definitely rooted in footwear and apparel but they're definitely, they've got vision and grandeur of sort of um, beyond. And you've been with them on that journey. So could you, did you want to kind of talk about how did, where were they when you first kind of started with them and now they're really just... It, the diversity of the stuff that you're dealing with now, but maybe just maybe talk through, if you can, the stages that they went through as an organisation, realising the value that design could have for them and their reach with customers. Yeah, I think um, design's been at the core of the company for, for years, since they started actually, so it's been an interesting one to work with just from a company that's grounded in design and actually, you know, Mark Parker is a shoe designer, so the CEO is actually um, uh, an old shoe designer, so actually it's sort of infused throughout the whole organisation, so everything falls in line around design, which has been, you know, an amazing company to work with from being a designer myself. Mm, It's like the dream client who gets it. Yeah, exactly. So it's never a question about design and it's more about, like, how does everything else fit into the business around the design of whatever it is that we're creating. But how and how are they measuring the success of that? Is it directly linked to the products that they sell ultimately or...? Yeah, it definitely comes back to, to sales, obviously, to keep the business going, but there's definitely a, a fusion of design in there at every aspect, whether it is the, the physical products or the footwear and the apparel, but into, you know, they were the first sort of brand really to sort of venture outside their core capability and get into sort of digital platforms, you know, almost 17 years ago. And um, entice celebrities and you were doing a lot of collaborations with celebrities around shoes and things, weren't you? Yeah, we're doing, we're doing um, collaborations. We use their sort of roster of influencers and athletes that they've 
they've got. Um, they're definitely like another sort of tool in the toolbox that you can lean on to sort of bring awareness around what we might be doing. Um, you know, Michael Jordan back in the day, he's still heavily involved in Jordan brand. So there's just a range of things that you can lean on, including celebrities and, and influencers. And I suppose there, that's where we start to look at the, you know, it's a very full stack, isn't it? It's actually designers entering of how the shoes are designed, mm -hmm. the experiences that the customers and the expectations that are put there, the ambassadors that are actually helping to represent those products and brands. But all of that is just building this experience stack. Mm -hmm. It's also building something that's cohesive. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen unless there's actually sponsorship from the people who are actually working out where the money is allocated in the business and what's to be realised. Did they get it from the beginning and then they asked for that to be done or have they learnt on the journey as they've gone through where the accelerators are to their economic needs? Um, <clears throat> I actually believe it's they've known it from the start um, in some aspects. So thinking about the, the, the origins of the company, it was actually creating a shoe but it was all about helping that athlete be better faster, more comfortable, whatever it might have been. It was all about actually, to your point, the experience stack. And even if it was back then, it was just a simple athlete running around a track. Um, it was the, more about the experience than the physical design of the shoe. It was actually designing for the experience of the product. Earlier in this series of field recordings that we're doing, we caught up with Debbie Millman and she was talking about the the meaning that comes out through brands. And I go, and I go look at what what's been done for women around sport and the active side of, of them just feeling good about themselves mm -hmm. rather than really the masculine um, side was more about winning and being champion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was actually about an enjoyable life. And, right. you know, that's a huge extension where there's a, a whole separate brand yep. which is catering for a market that was dormant for most other, uh, other you know, vendors of similar products. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think when we talk about the experience stack, you've got to think broadly around what it means to have an experience with a product and that, is, that includes things like feelings and fit and comfort and, and things that are sort of soft and sort of hard to measure and really sort of behind the scenes with sort of like the classic design of it and performance sort of based metrics that you can easily measure. There's some softer ones that actually feed into what that experience is. And this is interesting because we often in this in this series of talks that we're doing with design around the boardroom that the boardroom doesn't want to hear about the soft side, right? They want to hear about the metrics directly. What's the return on this? Why am I spending the money? But it sounds like you're dealing with a situation, a different situation and a different level of education and awareness in regards to design. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I'm more on the digital side for sure, but definitely there's a there's sort of, and that sort of feeds into the, the sort of experience stack that we're talking about. So from the wearing the physical product to how it sort of like performs from a sort of measurable sort of piece of it, then there's the sort of the softer stuff that you can just sort of interview and ask people. And that's where sort of we get involved where, you know, there's a lot of um, experiences we're building that are sort of in, in sort of in tandem with a physical product, it might be a connected product, for example. And it's sort of a lot of the, a lot of it is, you know, again, we can look at data of how it's performing from a, you know, platform perspective, we can see the metrics, but it's really doing field testing and actually talking to people and having a conversation and working out what works, what sucks, what's, how can we be better and constant that sort of test and learn. Um, approach to just sort of feeling out how it's you know there's a lot of softer stuff that we're talking about of actually just getting a true understanding or a full picture of how the experience or, or product might be performing. And you're doing a lot of pitching with executives and that type of senior level. Mm -hmm. How are you kind of talk us through what your pitching process is like how do you actually get them because I imagine it's not a small amount of money that you're looking for them to spend. Mm -hmm. How? Can be, can be. <laughs> How are you getting them to kind of buy in to what you're doing? I think 
I don't know if it's a trick or more so just helping them understand or see how it ties back to the broader vision to Nike. So if we think of the, the broad vision and purpose of why Nike exists, it's to um, deliver sort of innovation and inspiration to every athlete in the world. And their definition of athlete is always with an asterisk, which is, you know, if you have a body, you're an athlete. So essentially they're talking to everybody in the world. So if you sort of ground it or root it in that sort of philosophy um, and that sort of you build on that to get to what you might be pitching or creating or sort of thinking about putting into the world, um, it's a lot easier for them to understand and see it and sort of pitch it internally and, and sort of discuss it internally of how it actually ties to the broader mission and help, to help sell it in for sure. Right. So you, you've got an, an interesting position there because – there's a lot of correlation between the music business and the design, creative, you know, general creative businesses. Mm -hmm. You're not wasting time and effort on advocacy and convincing. You're actually talking about we're going to do something. It's it's an it's an effect conversation, not mm -hmm. a sponsorship conversation. Mm -hmm. And so that means that you're much further ahead because the energy that you're expending is actually on creating that effect. For, the, for right. the customer, right. the effect for the bottom line, right. and I think what we're seeing with a lot of a lot of organisations that we're speaking to that there's a huge amount of wasted effort to actually get the sponsorship, the advocacy mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. place because they haven't, they even either haven't got the the vision at the boardroom that this is how you accelerate mm -hmm. outcomes, mm -hmm. but it's an inefficient process. So it's fantastic to see mm -hmm. that you know. We're not discussing half of the things that we'd normally speak with most people. Mm -hmm. with yourself. Right, 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 right. Like we've gone straight to the meat. Right. We're getting to what it's about, and that's refreshing. Mm -hmm. But it's also that rare. you're rare. <laughs> it's also right. rare. Yeah, and that's it. So it's rare. And and I know that we you know we referred back in quite a few of the talks to into the envision scale. You're in that integral phase, and now it's actually working out. You know, I'd imagine your contemporaries are also in that integral phase. Yeah. So it's now the game is almost like Grand Slam tennis, where you're actually the the league of champions, not the people who are just trying to get up that league. Yeah, I mean RGA is sort of grounded in design from was grounded in design's been around for forty two years um, as well. So it's sort of like I work at an agency that's grounded in design, working with a brand that's grounded in design. It's sort of like. The, the dream like ultimate, <laughs> ultimate dream as a designer um but i think you know to your to your point back to your, the point around um sort of in it and sort of pushing things out into the world to just see how they perform i think um i think the bravery of nike and and sort of and also rga to just go on a not on a whim necessarily but sort of have the sort of if it feels 50 percent right let's do it and see and test and learn um and you know i work with other clients beyond nike and there's you know varying degrees of, of bravery in terms of you know some some boards definitely want to see the numbers and sort of how's this proven who else has done it and if you're in the world of innovation sort of trying to help somebody see somebody that's done something similar is really sort of tricky and it's almost like a, a failed effort in the sense of if it's been if it's been done you're not really delivering uh, true well, innovation. This is we've, we're touching on this theme of courage. And this is exactly it, right? It's the ones that are actually able to convert. There's an element of courage that existed. And I know when, when I was setting up the Driven by Design Award programs, mm -hmm. it was actually I, the three values I wanted to pursue was courage, diversity and excellence. Mm -hmm. And courage is this incredible moment that if you've got a client who's actually prepared to be courageous, mm -hmm. the outcomes that come from the teams that are supporting them are astounding. It's when they're timid, mm -hmm. maybe even choking the mm -hmm. process, mm -hmm. That you actually and you see it in the work immediately when it comes through. It's unusual, 
it should be celebrated and it should be recognised. And you're, you, you already know that you're in that situation. You're in a very privileged situation. That yeah. you've, you've, you've got the perfect stack. You've, you're, you're in an agency that gets it. You've got a client that gets it. And they're asking you to go further and faster mm-hmm. rather than wasting time on having to justify and advocate a privileged life. That's but that's, that's the interesting one, right? Like how – so the challenge for you then is how you keep pushing it. How do you keep innovating? How do you keep – because they want that obviously and that's why they're with you. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, you know, it's, it's the ultimate dream as a designer like I said. But there are challenges that come along with it. I think Nike is one of those brands that have, you know, seemingly seen it all. And, you know, they're constantly being pitched ideas from a range of agencies and, and people um, – so I think our challenge is is more how do we actually stay on top of it? How do we actually push it into a into a zone that it does make them feel uncomfortable or you know requires that bravery that we're talking about? And I think that's the sort of challenge of working with Nike. Um, you know, other clients are sort of easier to kind of like push the push the envelope a little bit. So what do you do to channel that and to be in that kind of space for them? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of you know having you know just sort of base level design shops and maintaining that and making sure the team we have are at the level that we need on something like Nike but then it's also staying on top of the the forefront of what's going on in the world the context of world but in the broader sense of it including technology and you know the political environment just a whole range of things so that when we are pitching we're on we're bringing our A game um, to Nike because they they push us to be better um, for us to sort of push them to be better. So help me understand because I know with a few other companies we've spoken to that they get um, infuriated when they go work with design partners to build out, you know, that production team and they get told the creation story of design mm-hmm. when there's like, well, we've already got a couple of hundred of these people here who are probably your equals. Mm-hmm. Can we get past the creation story? How do, you, how do you find people to work with and how do you also find talent to join your team? Because I'd imagine there's not a lot of people who are match ready in the way that you want to play the game. Yeah, there's different there's different roles. So you know, using the sporting sporting analogy, but there's sort of like role players, and then there's people that are sort of um, you know sort of the the sort of starters, if you will, that that sort of go into the into the fire uh, with Nike. And so I think there's there's a skill set that I look for, especially in the sort of more senior creatives, is this comfortability uh, uh, being comfortable with the ambiguous or the vague sometimes we'll go into Nike a lot of the times because we've been a partner with them for nearly 17 years now and a lot of the times the we don't get a brief per se we'll get a phone call we're ordering pizza and beer we've just come out of a board meeting we have this problem to solve in two weeks making it up but and we'll go into a room and it's you're sitting in there for three days trying to solve a business problem through design like what are we going to make how can we serve this consumer whatever it might be so that's the stuff that gets me excited actually as a creative really digging in and sort of leveraging my design sensibility to deliver real business solutions that are solving real business problems at a high level and so the team that i need to assemble around me needs to go into those rooms comfortable with there is no brief we're not sure what we're going to make if we're going to make anything at all and so a lot of times we'll have designers that are like what am i designing and we'll get there eventually but in those sort of early early phases it's really sort of a need is to be sort of okay with the sort of vague and it's we're going to define it through the process and and the intellectual property that's held by yourselves as a as a you know vendor partner to, to nike is astounding because you're already spun up you understand all the values you don't have to go through the discovery process every time you're getting a brief they're leveraging the fact that you've got contextual understanding that you hold joint intellectual property with them and then they're able to leverage that faster which is exactly the way that you see you know retained lawyers work 
how HR partners mm-hmm, work. Mm-hmm. So it's a really sophisticated relationship. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, you, you hit it on the head. It's a relationship. It's been a partnership for, like I said, 17 years. But it's it's got to a point now where it doesn't feel like a client agency relationship. We just feel like an extension of their team. And they call us. We go in there. We know the strategy. They don't need to tell us the stuff. They just tell us the latest business problem or whatever might be going, some sort of more recent context. And we hit the ground running. We bring, you know, I'll sort of cherry pick the right team to go in for whatever problem it might be. And we hit the ground running. And we're already ahead of the game than sort of like onboarding and understanding the strategy, understanding the business um, and where it sits we actually have this long history and this institutional knowledge that we bring to every brief so a lot of organizations are working on the toolkits that they bring out of uh, to bring them up to the board to report them i'm wondering if the board's actually worked out how to go and summarize the value that you're bringing they're now actually bringing that down to you and saying these are the key metrics that we're looking at and you're performing well or we need you to perform better in some other areas how does that work yeah they definitely um sort of rate us or scorecard us on the value that we're bringing and I think that's the, the constant challenge is making sure that we're providing value and bringing sort of impact to their business. A bit about you in the sense of probably from the close side, you've had this fantastic career as we talked about at the beginning. Was there a time right from the outset where you said I want to be in design or did it just kind of gradually evolve and you've ended up where you are? Yeah, I mean, go back to Melbourne. I wanted to be an industrial designer until I realised 90% of industrial designers are uh, designing door handles and (laughs) kettles and toasters. Shout out to all the industrial designers out there. Um, But then I went into – I did a short stint in architecture. I wanted to be an architect. I wanted to be a civil engineer. I knew it was something to do with design. I didn't know exactly where I would land. Went into graphic design. and then in my sort of final year, the sort of internet came along the sort of mid-90s. And then I focused on that, started building websites in the mid-90s and got into the digital geeky, nerdy side of, of sort of design and sort of more how do I leverage technology to build the designs that I want to design. So uh, from there, it sort of led into a work for an ISP. Then I was at Swish Group in Melbourne, sort of back in the late 90s through the whole dot-com boom and then dot-com crash and I lost my job. And then I took all the clients from Swish Group and started my own thing. So it's sort of like it evolved sort of naturally. My sister always says I've landed on my I've landed on my feet every single time. With the work that you've or your design philosophy, do you think there was something in your life that kind of grounded your viewpoint that you've taken through this career? Yeah, I think it was it's the fusion of technology into design. I think, um, you know, I was lucky enough to be given a computer in sort of late high school, I guess, and I started just playing around with it. I didn't really use it for anything other than just to like hack it to make design type stuff. I was always a drawer and a creator of sorts. And I think I just as soon as I got that, it was sort of opened up a whole new world for me. So I think, you know, from a design perspective, it's this sort of fusion of design with technology that's sort of always fascinated me. And I've landed at RGA, which is sort of like in the DNA of the company. Ben, have you got a screen grab of the first website that you made? I might have it on some sort of (laughs) SciQuest drive or zip drive somewhere. So I go back to my first foray into the digital world. It was actually called multimedia. And there's a 10-year period of all the work I produced. You can't – none of it works on anything anymore. And I've got a few grabs here and there. Strangely, we've actually got some on uh, Betacam SP. When and you can, right. what a strange archival format for. If you've got a screen grab of your first site, I'd love to put it up there because I think that's actually like it's like what's your first scribble that you went and did. Right. I remember we did a project for Berger, and we thought that we were absolute the. The, you know, the guns are 3D rendering because we'd worked out how to go put all the labels for the gif- different cans in a standard way. 
it's pathetic, but it was actually at the time it was it was it was cutting through. Yeah, and so it'd be really useful to share because I think for a lot of people they need to realise from what very humble beginnings, yeah, that that journey that they're going to be on can actually wind up being a major expedition. Totally, totally. I think um, you know I think back to that, and I'll look up and see if I've got the website. Um, but I you know I tell designers I was working on Photoshop before there were layers, and you know blows their minds every day. Um, <laughs> just like the, the how technology sort of evolved in there, the sort of you the know good old days before layers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just really tactical things like that, and people are sort of blown away. But um, actually, what I wanted to find, and I don't know if I can find it, but I actually you know this was sort of mid to late nineties. Nike.com actually had a their website was up, at, but it said where are actually redesigning our website or we're looking to redesign our website or design our website. We're looking for applications of people to actually design Nike.com. I was whatever I was, 17, and I was like, I'm going to do this. And oh. I wrote, wrote a whole email to Nike about why I should be the designer of Nike.com. So, uh, I did not hear anything back, <laughs> obviously. Have you read? Have you got the emails? Uh, that's what I'm going to find out. Oh, I'm going to try, and, I'm try and dig in. But then it comes full circle. I'm working on Nike for, Nike for eight years, <laughs> including Nike.com. Fun moments when you, when you go back and say, that 17-year-old Ben, that yeah. was the, he's got there. Swinburne School of Design de- de- denied me as well and uh, <laughs> told me I would never be a designer and then it was, I think it was five years later I was back there lecturing as oh, a no. guest lecturer. So that's classic as well. And, and, and so that's actually really important for people to realise that we all get knocked a huge amount. You know, we've spoken in this about the idea of doing the advocacy and the trying to get sponsorship. There is a point when you get past that. You do get into the major league, and that's because you've got great talent and great skills. So, oh, and I, tenacity, tena- I think well, you know it's, it's that as well. Yeah, you have to just keep going. Yeah, you know? like you can't just—it's like an actor, right? The ones that succeed at reje- how many rejections do they have before they actually make it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ben, it's been fantastic to have your time. You know, we know everybody who shares some some of their knowledge with us. It's a huge privilege to have. No doubt this is our first conversation as we're talking about design the boardroom. And um, again, thank you. Great. Thank you for having me.